So, you know, our response to our encounters with God define our life. Our response to our encounters with God define our life. I remember years ago, before I came to Christ, I got drunk and beat up a cop. And uh, they tackled me and put me in the cop car and hauled me to jail. And, and uh, after strip searching me, they, they put me in a cell. And I noticed that the one officer, uh, rightfully so, wasn't real friendly. And he took the two-inch mattress pad off the cement bed in that jail cell and threw it into another cell, and I got to lay on a just-cement bed. And I had an encounter with God that night. God was in that cell. And God began to call into my heart. God began to show me that he loved me. And I got mad. And screamed cuss words at God. Our response to our encounters with God define our life. From that moment on, I went into an even deeper cycle of alcoholism and anger, of great angst, of great messed up life. My response that night in that jail cell, jail cell when God was calling my name and my, my stiff-arming him caused great great pain in my life and marriage. Fast forward a few years and I was driving down the interstate hauling a couple head of rope horses to summer pasture because I'd tore my back out and couldn't rope. And I began to review the, the desperateness of my life. And as I was driving down through this canyon by Rifle, Colorado on I-70, I, I was having an encounter with God. But this encounter was different. I said, I give up God. And Jesus Christ saved me. That was March of 1990. And my life has never been the same. Jesus Christ forgave me. Jesus Christ transferred transferred me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And now I've been all over this world preaching that Jesus Christ still saves. That if Jesus Christ can forgive me, he can forgive you, who are a lot probably better than I am, or have been, or were. That Jesus Christ is still in the business of changing lives. You're going to encounter God today, many of you. What's your response going to be? I can tell you that if you stiff-arm God this morning yet again, you will end up in a much darker place. You will end up addicted to something, I guarantee you. An addiction to food or porn or drugs or alcohol or, or, or shopping or something to cover up the deep pain in your heart that comes when we encounter God in His grace and say, No, no. But the reality is that our encounters with God can radically transform our life into allowing us to grow into the people Christ created us to be. 
So this morning, I would like us to interact with a passage of Scripture that kind of delineates the seasons of life and allows us to encounter God in such a way that when I get done preaching after a couple hours, your life is changed. Each one of you are going to encounter God today. Even if you're an atheist and you're here today and say there's no God, you're going to encounter God today. And your response is going to have a tremendous impact on your life. So let's go to Psalm 116. Psalm 116, I'm sure it's on the screen behind me or somewhere. Uh, It's in your bulletin. I don't know where it's at. But uh, listen as I read this psalm, okay? Psalm 116, we don't know for sure who wrote it, okay? God wrote it, right? God and his word, the Bible, can't be separated, right? God wrote a book. The Bible isn't a book about God. It's a book by God. God carried people along to write down so that God revealed himself to humankind through his word, okay? And sometimes we know, though, what what human instrument God used to write write his scripture. But Psalm 116, we don't know for sure. Most Bible scholars feel it was probably King David. But we know that it's God's inspired word. So follow along as I read. I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy. Because he bends down to listen, I will pray as long as I have breath. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is. How good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. And so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I believed in you, so I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord, In my anxiety, I cried out to you, these people are all liars. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant, born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So much the reading of God's inerrant, inspired word. Let's pray And then go through these verses and encounter God. God, do a work through your word like only you can. God, you can transcend people's hard-heartedness right now. You can transcend people's failures. You can transcend their addictions. You can transcend and speak into them and encounter them in fresh new ways. So I beg you in the authority and power and name of Jesus that you would do that right now. That no one here in their encounter with you would stiff-arm you, God. 
and that they would have a surrendered spirit to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen and amen. The psalmist here begins, I love the Lord because he hears my voice. That is unbelievable. That God is so big and so powerful and so everywhere and so all-knowing that he can be personal to each one of you. He's hearing your voice, your cry out for mercy. He's hearing. Isn't that amazing? Like, seriously, God is big enough to hear you and me, and he's hearing the heart cry of my friends over in India right now? And he's hearing the heart cry of my friends down in the rainforest of Panama, my Kuna Indian friends, who are speaking a Kuna English or Kuna language completely different than my English? That's a big God. And yet he's personal to each one of us. That ought to make us be like, whoa. God, that's amazing. In fact, in verse 2, this God, this great big God is so personal. He says, because he bends down to listen, I'm going to pray as long as I have breath. God isn't some esoteric force. He's not withholding himself from us. Our God literally bends down to listen to you. You matter to God. God loves you. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Because he bends down to listen, the response always is, I'm going to pray as long as I have breath. What's your prayer life like? Like, seriously? Prayer should be a response to this loving Heavenly Father who's personal, who hears our voice, our desperate plea for mercy, and he bends down to listen to us. God puts his power into us through prayer and he puts his perspective into our life through prayer and he, and he, and he, and he puts perseverance into, his, uh, into us through prayer and he puts his purity and all these things. He just does that. If you're somehow feeling guilty about your lack of prayer, don't gut it up and say, I'm going to pray more. Surrender and say, God... I want to know you as Heavenly Father more, so my natural response is not to guilt-riddenly try to pray, which will last about two minutes until you hit the highway out there. But prayer that flows out of an intimate relationship with God is amazing. And then in verse 3, we see, as, and we'll see as we go through this psalm, just the different seasons of life, and obviously the human author of this psalm, but then vicariously us in 2019 in Podunk, Mitchell, Nebraska. Death wrapped its ropes around me. And death here, if we were reading this in the original Hebrew, the, 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 right, the Hebrew Bible scholars would say, death here isn't just physical, Okay? If we were reading this in the original Hebrew, we would understand that death isn't just referring here right to just physical death, someone dying physically, but emotional death, spiritual death, an all-encompassing of life type of death. Death wrapped its ropes around me. The terrors of the grave overtook me. I saw only trouble and sorrow. You and I can have this amazing personal relationship with this loving Heavenly Father who bends down to listen to us and still have seasons of life 
where the ropes of death, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, get wrapped around our heart and we live in this terror and we see only trouble and sorrow. And my friends, every one of us, if we are human, which I'm assuming most of you are human today, and in this room or listening online, if you are human, you are going to have seasons of death in your life. Physical death of your loved ones, spiritual death of yourself, emotional death. They're just, it just happens in the seasons of life. And if you're there this morning, I'm telling you, those seasons don't last forever, but they do come. And in the sovereign nature of God, He allows them to come into our life. Much of American evangelicalism is bent on faking it till you make it. Of pretending that everything is always good and great, and it's not. Read your Bible. There are seasons in every one of our lives that are just hard. Hard because we're sinners and hard because people sin against us, sometimes in horrific ways. And it's not easy. And we can see only trouble and sorrow. But, verse 4, Then I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. Our response to our encountering God in the dark seasons of ropes wrapped around the very heartbeat of our life, spiritually, physically, or emotionally, should be calling on the name of the Lord. And notice this prayer. Four words in length. Please, Lord, save me. (laughs) I like that. Prayer doesn't have to be long to be effective. And quite frankly, sometimes in the dark seasons of life, friends, when death ropes are wrapped around us, quite frankly, a four-word prayer is about all we can say, huh? Some of you are getting this. Please, Lord, save me. It doesn't take a lot of esoteric words, but please, Lord, save me. Of course, when I read this, you're, and if you if you're, have known Scripture for a while, your, your brain will jump to... Re- Do you remember the Apostle Peter? Remember when him and the other disciples were on the boat? Remember, and it's really rough seas, and Jesus comes walking on the water? This miracle of Jesus walking on the water, and what's Peter do? Remember Peter? He's like... Dude, if that's you, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but let me get out. And he gets out. Man, Peter's the only one who leaves the boat. He's the only one that experienced walking on water. But, but precious Peter, what, what's he do? Remember, he takes his eyes off Jesus and what happens? He begins to sink. Do you remember his prayer? It wasn't even this long. He didn't say, please. He just said, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And Jesus did. Oh, ye of little faith. And picks him up. And they get back to the boat together. But my friends, the point is prayer. We should be people of prayer. But prayer does not have to be long. Short prayers can be incredibly effective. And so our response to these seasons of trouble and sorrow and death ropes around the very nature of our heart, please, Lord, save me. And what do we discover? Verse 5, how kind the Lord is, how good He is, so merciful, this God of ours. And He is. It's amazing that when we can go through the death throes of a season of life and then we discover yet again 
through authentic calling on the Lord, please, Lord, save me, and we discover almost afresh and new how good and kind the Lord is and how merciful he is. Verse 6, the Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. My friends, the Lord protects those of childlike faith. And you know what happens to us as Christians after we are so old as a Christian? We forget to have childlike faith. And I believe in order for death ropes to get released from our heart, that there is an act of will and worship in every believer's heart that says at some point in different seasons of life, saying, God, I need to get back to a childlike faith that I can say, please, Lord, save me. I believe that you and I need to have encounters with God where we say, well, I remember Courtney when she was a little girl, our daughter Courtney. She'd like be a little toddler, you know, and she'd fall and bang her knee and, oh, cry. And she'd come, I'd grab her and I'd be like, oh, honey, it's okay. Here, let me kiss it and make it all better. (laughs) Okay. And I'd kiss Courtney's little boo-boo and she'd be like, oh, thanks, Daddy. She was better. Childlike faith. Her daddy kissed her boo-boo and it was better. And she'd go running off. And you and I need to have that kind of faith. Jesus talked about this. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And there's this divine protection that begins to occur in our life, but sometimes we have educated ourselves out of, edu- out of simple childlike faith. And we stay honestly in rope, death ropes because we don't say as an act of will in a, response, in a worshipful encounter with God saying, Daddy, I'm just going to trust you yet again. I don't get this. The death ropes are getting me. It doesn't make sense. You don't make sense. Life doesn't make sense. I don't make sense. Nothing makes sense. I'm seeing only trouble and sorrow. But as an act of my will, Daddy, Please, Lord, save me. Please, Lord, save me. Our response to the encounter, our encounters with God define our life. Verse 7, let my soul be at rest again. Do you see the different seasons here in this psalm? Let my soul be at rest again. There are seasons where your soul isn't at rest. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Oh, these seasons of blessing in life are amazing. If you're in them right now, if you're in one, a season where it's just pretty good, don't feel guilty about that. That's a good thing. It'll probably change. But don't feel bad about a season where it's just good. That's great. Know that it'll probably change, but it's good. Let your soul be at rest again. Don't, be a, don't create drama and conflict in your life just because it's going fairly good. I see some people do this. They're so used to the routine of, of drama and conflict that their soul is never at rest. But I believe we Christ ones can respond to our encounters with God where we have seasons of our souls being at rest and we're not crying all the time and we're not tripping all the time and it's just good. Verse 9, And so I walk in the Lord's presence 
as I live here on earth. The beauty again and the awesomeness of God being so good that you and I can individually and yet collectively walk in the Lord's presence as we live here on earth. It's a beautiful season. It's a wonderful thing. But now we see it changing again. Verse 10, I believed in you. So I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. Have you ever been in that season of life? As a believer in Jesus, it was awesome for a while. Your soul was at rest. This is good. Yeehaw, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in this season. Yes, sirree. And then all of a sudden, God, I believe in you. Give my life to you. And now I'm deeply troubled. I'm deeply troubled. What's up with this, God? Verse 11, in my anxiety, I cried out to you, these people are all liars. All of us have been in a season of life where it was good, and then it's like, God, I believe in you, and now I'm deeply troubled, and these are a bunch of wackos I'm around. They're all a bunch of liars. Some of you are going to experience that. It happens in the church. And, you know, everybody seems godly until you get to know them, right? And then all of a sudden you rub shoulders and you're like, God, um, these are whacked out people. They're, they've got to be a worse sinner than me. I'm sure of it. It just happens. It's part of the, the, the maturing process in God's assignment to us in walking with Jesus on earth. It just happens. Because God supernaturally uses that and sovereignly uses the, the hypocrisy of other people's, people's lives to cause us to come back to saying, God, I don't get it, but I'm going to worship you anyway. In fact, the response here in verse 12 is, is, is this, this writer of this, this passage because God never deviated from, from, from people who were writing his word to deviate from their personal experience. And you can see that this writer, as he went through this season of anxiety, and these people are all liars, I'm deeply troubled... He took his eyes off the liars. He took his eyes off his anxiety and the troubles and he put them back on God. Verse 12, what can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? And friends, if you're in a season of real struggle and you're discovering the hypocrisy in the underbelly of the church and, 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 or in your marriage or in your family or wherever it is or at your workplace and you're like, these people are all a bunch of flipping liars. I'm sick of it. I'm going to check out. The only way to get out of that season of life is not to become bitter and angry at the hypocrisy of other people. The only way is to say, God, what can I offer up for all that you've done for me? And God, here's what I'm going to do in response. Instead of worshiping the doubts, instead of worshiping the, the, the control that hypocrites have on my life, instead of worshiping all my anxiety, I'm going to take my eyes off my circumstances and put them on you. And I, verse 13, will lift up the cup of salvation. I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. It always, always comes back to who or what we're worshiping. And you and I need to lift up the cup of our salvation. How long has it been since you thank God for saving you? Many Christians I know begin to take it for granted after a while. And they they lose the wonder of God supernaturally saving them. 
of completely forgiving them through Christ, of, of awesomely looking, through the, looking at them through the, the righteousness of Christ instead of their sin. And so many Christians are so kind of just bound up with the death ropes and they forgot all about the awesomeness of salvation and they don't lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for His salvation. You want to get out of the death ropes? Maybe your encounter with God today will be saying, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for saving me. Or maybe for some of you, it's please, Lord, save me in the first place. Verse 14, another I will. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all his people. All of us in our encounters with God have have made promises to him, saying, God, you have been so good to me. I promise that I will serve you forever. And then we go through seasons of anxiety and doubt and hypocrisy. And we have to come back saying, verse 14, I will keep my promises to you, Lord, in the presence of all his people. Our faith is personal, but it's never private, right? Our faith is always worked out into the context of the, in the presence of God's people. God's plan for this time period in history is local churches living out the body of Christ. The church is a, 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 a place where God, you, that God uses and a people that God uses to refine us and cause us to see sometimes that everyone seems like a liar, but that we are going to lift up the cup of salvation anyway and we're going to keep our promises to the Lord in the presence of all His people you cannot grow out of into a mature disciple of Jesus without being in the presence of his people. Verse 15, the Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. My friends, we looked earlier at this in, in this psalm where we talked about how, how death wraps its ropes around me, and death cannot be just physical, but emotional and spiritual death. And I want you to know that 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 in the season of life where maybe you feel dead spiritually or emotionally or you're experiencing physical death and the physical death of a loved one has has caused you to have great grief and somehow you thought, man, it was going to be different and you don't like your new normal. And, And you thought grief sometimes just had this distinct ending point and it hasn't. It's still part of the fabric of your life and you wonder like, geez, and the, the, the death ropes still are wrapping around you and it's just hard. And whether it's the loss of a baby or the loss of a marriage or, or the loss of a loved one physically, I want you to know that our Lord cares deeply when His loved ones die. He cares deeply if you are facing the death of your emotions. He cares deeply when your grandma died. He cares deeply when you lost that baby in miscarriage. He cares. Our God has the power and ability and the the, the immense amount of love to care for you at your point of need through the death. No matter what type of death it is, He cares for you. And I want you to accept that grace right now. Don't stiff-arm God in that. 
Accept God's grace that He cares deeply. And we might not get it. And we still might be frustrated, maybe even with God, well, because we know He's sovereign in allowing the death of a loved one. But I'm telling you, don't stay in the worship of your pain. Don't stay in the worship of wishing it was, could go back to how it used to be. Accept the sovereignty of God. Lift up the cup of your salvation. Praise the Lord's name. Keep your promises because our God cares deeply when His loved ones die. That verse for thousands of years has given God's people great comfort. It might not make any sense, God. God, this doesn't make any sense. But God, I know you care when my loved ones die. Verse 16, O Lord, I'm your servant. Yes, I am your servant. Born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. The ropes or chains that bind us can be set free by the Lord Jesus Christ who said, I have come to set the captives free. And so in another response, another I will in response to God, and in, in your, your encounter, verse 17, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. The defining characteristic of authentic Christians all over the world is thankfulness. If I came and lived with you for the next week, and at the end of the week, I, I was going to, my task was to give you a grade, like an A, B, C, D, F grade, on your thankfulness quotient, what do you think the grade I would give you would be at the end of this next week? Our thankfulness is in direct proportion to our intimacy with Christ. Don't tell me you're walking with Jesus Christ and being a whiny, critical jerk. And being critical of referees and coaches and neighbors and on and on it goes. You're not walking with Jesus if you're whiny. The response to ever get out of a season of life that is just trouble and sorrow is gratitude. And lovingly, friends, and I say this in love and I'm preaching to myself too, okay here? But my friends in India who have nothing from our perspective physically are so much more thankful than we are. It's unbelievable how when I go to other countries, how much more thankful Christians are than American Christians. And we whine about music style and preacher styles and whine about everything. And I'm just like, hey now, let's have a little perspective. Walking with Jesus should cause us to be the most thankful people on the planet. And church, if this church is going to continue to reach the lost people in this valley, it's going to take you individually and then collectively being a group of thankful people. We can tell we're walking with Jesus when we're full of thanksgiving. 
And then another, I will, in verse 18, I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our response to our encounters with God define our life. How are you going to respond today to this passage of Scripture? No, really. Like, seriously, how are you going to respond? How's the Lord personally, sovereignly speaking into your unique life dynamic? Don't be like I did in that jail cell back in 1986 when I stiff-armed God in anger became an even worse alcoholic. Don't stiff-arm God. God created every one of you who are here and listening online on purpose for a purpose. You are not some body that's evolved out of some primordial soup. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, every one of you, God knew what he was doing when he picked the specific sperm and that specific egg and had them get together and be implanted into your mother's womb and you grew in that mother's womb because God knew you before he formed you and he has a plan for your life. Don't settle for a life filled with anxiety and doubt and anger. In Christ, you can be so much more. You can know why you live. Don't settle. Be a thankful, filled with gratitude person because our God bends down to listen to you. Our God is personally vested into your unique life. Jesus, thank you for working here today, working throughout the internet, people logging on or listening. Holy Spirit of the living God, if there's someone stiff-arming you right now, transcend their indifference or transcend their defiance and cause them to surrender to you. For that one who is here and they've, they, they would have to say, I probably would be an F on my thankfulness quotient or at least a D, Lord Jesus. And, 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 and that unthankfulness and ungratitude is literally cancerizing their, their family relationships and their work relationships and they're lonely and they're angry. Jesus, cause repentance and, and, and cause them to see the power in you, Jesus, to help them grow out of that self-centered thinking and lifestyle. Jesus, we want to be thankful people, literally defined by our gratitude. I thank you for Mitchell Berean Church. I pray your encouragement and work in them so you can work through them. Thank you, Jesus Christ. We want to respond appropriately to our encounter with you today. In your name, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. I love you, Mitchell Berean.
I love you. Thanks for being part of the Brean Fellowship. Let's go and represent Jesus well this week, okay?